say, okay, I'm going to live self-sacrificially. I'm going, to, I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to give up my life. But you actually don't love God at all. You just love yourself and you love your idea of what that means for you. And we have to be careful because for many of us, and I'm, in, I, I'm a pastor, so I, I see myself here so easily. It's so easy to start to look down on other people who don't live the way we live. See, judgment happens when we think we're doing it right and everyone's doing it wrong and everyone should be like us. As a believer, you have to be careful that you're not contributing to the noise. Today, Pastor Daniel will teach about what it means for a person to be loving. If what's coming out of your mouth is gossip, anger, and unforgiveness, then what you're putting out there is just useless noise. We'll find out how to avoid being part of the problem where every word we say is motivated by God's love, and everything we do is for Him and not ourselves. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, The Mathematics of Love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, if you have eloquent speech but you don't have love, it equals noise. Now, why do I say it equals noise? Now, How many of you guys like that little screen on the drum set? You guys like that thing? You know why we have that on there? Because if the drummers hit that cymbal, it hurts your ears, right? Now imagine if I took that cymbal off and I walked through the sanctuary, got right up next to your ear with a drumstick and went, would you like that? No, you wouldn't. What happens if I took a trumpet and I walked right up to your ear and I pulled a little Miles Davis, Did you like that? You probably didn't even like I went, that's kind of loud, right? That's what it's like when you talk to someone and you don't love. When you and I open our mouths, if we do not have love in our hearts for that person and for the Lord, we are that person. Now listen, I get enough complaints about the volume of worship in Crossroads, whether it's too loud or too quiet. But nobody likes it when you have someone banging a cymbal, or blowing a trumpet right in your ear. If we can speak with the most phenomenal eloquence in any language, even an angelic language, and we do not have love as the motivation of our hearts, we are just noise. We are adding to the noise of a world that is not founded in love. Now, doesn't that make you think about what we say and how we say it? Because every time we pass along an unloving sentiment, we are that. That's the picture I want you to come away with. That every time we open up our mouths without love, the love of God, the love that sent Jesus to the earth to live and to die and to be resurrected, every time we open our mouth without that as the motivation, it's just like someone's taking that symbol and it's right in your ear, jamming that thing over and over and over again with every single word. You can see why the Proverbs say that in a multitude of words, what? Sin is not lacking. Because how much of the words that flow out of our mouth are not rooted and founded in love? 
I'll be honest, I was so convicted as I've been studying this. So I was just like, wow, Lord, the amount of noise that I've created in the world of my life, even in the last few days, passing along words that do not have love as its foundation. If you have the most eloquent speech in the world, you could have a gold line tongue. Everything you say could be perfect. But if it's not loving, if it's not founded in the perfect love of God in Jesus, then it's just noise. Now, you know what this has caused me to do? This has caused me not only to reevaluate what I say, but also what I listen to, who I listen to. There's nothing stranger than somebody questioning the integrity of somebody else in a way that lacks integrity by gossiping. Do you ever think about that? When somebody slanders somebody and they're saying, oh, that person's all messed up and they're slandering them. Like, think about that, the irony of that whole thing. So that person's bad, but I'm gossiping. See, I've been learning how to shut my ears to things. You go online, you watch a, a news program and all of a sudden someone gets all angry and I'm like, you know what? I just don't need that. It's hard enough to be intentional with loving with the love of God when I am now surrounded by all sorts of people being unloving. You know, there's an old saying that if you put garbage in, what? You get garbage out. That's right. You put Twinkies in your mouth all day long, you're going to get a Twinkie gut. I've learned this by experience. And listen, if all you do is put in unloving, unloving, no love, noise, 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 you know what you're going to get out? Noise. And that's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that whatever things are loving and trustworthy and praiseworthy and good, meditate on those things. Because as you and I behold the Lord and his word, and we choose not to put garbage into our hearts, but we put love and joy and trust and innocence in, that stuff starts to come out after a while. We have to be careful not to add to the noise. Because God has called the people of God and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to be salt and light in a world that is full of no flavor and darkness. And if we do not grab hold of this, we just continue along the problem. So eloquent speech minus love equals noise. We want every word that we say to be motivated by love, by kindness, by joy, by trust for God and belief in God's work in people. What good is it to be the most linguistically gifted person in the world and have every single beautiful word be a heinous noise? Let it not be so among us, brothers, sisters. So eloquent speech minus love equals noise. Look at verse two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So now... You have spiritual power minus love equals nothing. Spiritual power minus love equals nothing. You see what the Apostle Paul is doing here, right? As I told you already, the church in Corinth was spiritually gifted. They had prophecy. They had words of knowledge. People understood mysteries. There was all these tongues and interpretations and all this stuff. He's like, listen, that's all great. But if you, don't ha if you have those things and you don't have love, know what you got? You got your nothing. 
Now, it's one thing to be noise. It's another thing to be nothing. Think about what the Apostle Paul's saying. That you can have all these charismatic gifts. And listen, we want those gifts. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well, the third person of the Trinity. He never changes. We believe God wants to bestow the gifts of the Spirit on his people, but we have to be careful that they are not done outside of love. Because if you have all these gifts and you have not love, what are you? Nothing. How many of you, when you grew up, you heard things like, make something of yourself? It's not a bad phrase, right? You need to make something of yourself. Well, if you don't love, you're nothing. You can make something of yourself, but if, you've got, if you have no love, you're nothing. Now, notice, first, prophecy. Now, prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians 14 was one of the most primary and important gifts of significance in the community. The idea of the prophetic gifting was to both call into question the status quo and to envision or enliven a more beautiful view of the future. When most people think of prophecy, you think of foretelling of future events. Out of all the prophecy in the Bible, only about one-third of it is that. Most of it is exhortation. Where it's saying, look, this is where we're falling short, and this is what God is asking of us. A prophetic voice. Now, what's interesting is that there is a subset of people in the Church of Jesus Christ today who believe that as a prophet, their job is just to be negative at everybody. And I think that what's unfortunate about that is that God doesn't hate anybody, and that's what the cross of Jesus is all about. So the way prophecy functions in the New Testament is different from the way it functioned in the Old Testament. Why? Because God took care of everything at the cross of Jesus Christ. So a prophet in the New Testament sense will still call us into question, but will have a deep understanding of God's grace, his love. Anytime I meet somebody who's prophetic and they're mad at me, I'm like, well, God's not mad at me because he took all of his anger out on Jesus. God loves me, and God may exhort me to be different, but never angry. Never angry. So prophecy is important in the church. See, that's why I always tell people that if you go to a church where you agree with everything the pastor says, then it's probably not a good church, because you don't grow. Now, I'm not saying everything I say is right. Believe me. But what I am saying is that one of the things God does is he discomforts us in our comfort. Right as we get settled, okay, I got this thing all together, then something happens, life happens. Someone comes and challenges you, and you're like, oh. Because God is always pushing us on to grow. That's the prophetic nature of what God wants to do. And God sometimes brings people to us to challenge us on things. And I'm always grateful for that. Like, Lord, what are you doing? So he says, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, so not only the ability to be a mouthpiece for God, but understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, these words speak about the deep, secret things that only God could reveal. Words of knowledge when somebody knows something that they would have no other way of knowing. Things like when Nathan came to David about his sin of adultery and his sin of murder. How was Nathan going to know that? He wasn't there because God showed it to him. Mysteries, understanding, you're unraveling the deep things that are only possible. He's like, man, that would be a kind of a cool thing, right? You guys are like, yeah, I'd like the knowledge of what the lotto numbers are tomorrow, right? First Corinthians 8, verse 1 says, knowledge puffs up, but what? But love builds up. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? 
He's saying, look, knowledge may make you proud, but love builds up people, undergirds people, pushes people upward towards God. So he's saying, look, you have prophecy, knowledge, mysteries, understanding of mysteries. Then he says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Now, this is not the faith that we believe in Jesus. This is that supernatural gift of faith like Jesus talks about in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21. Say to this mountain, move from here to there and it be removed. If you have the faith of a mustard seed. Some people function in the gift of faith. He's saying, look, if I have all of that, faith that could, oh, sorry, Matthew 17 is the reference, and 21, it's in actually both of those. He's saying, if you have all this gifting, faith, prophecy, knowledge, and mystery, but notice, but have not love, I'm nothing. So it doesn't say don't pursue spiritual power, it's saying you need to make sure you wield the spiritual power that the Spirit grants to you in a heart of love, in a heart of strength and absorbing love for others. Now, how many of you have met people who are incredibly spiritually powerful, but they're kind of really nasty, selfish? I think a lot of us have. They're self-centered. Because the problem with giftedness, the problem with giftedness is it's so easy to think it's about me. And so even, I believe that each one of us are spiritually empowered by the Lord. If you're born again, if you put your faith, there are gifts in you, profound gifts, gifts that will function only in your life as opposed to anyone else's. But it needs to be carried and held with a deep love of God and a love for other people. Because if not, it becomes ingrown and self-focused and it's all about us. And you can always tell when somebody has let it gone inward because everything, if it's not about them, it's not about anything. It ha- the focus always has to be me, me, me. And we have to be careful with that because love is self-sacrificial. It's self-giving. It's saying all of this is actually for you to walk in the love of God, for you to know God's kindness, his joy. So don't seek spiritual power. Seek love and ask God to include spiritual power. Don't seek eloquence in speech. Seek love and say, God, I'll take all the tongues of whatever sort you'll give me. But love's the meat, more than the spiritual power, more than the eloquence of speech. Now look at this, because it doesn't end there. Look at what it says in verse three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now check this out. I'm talking about living self-sacrificially, self-giving, and absorbing love. And then he says, hey, don't forget, if you give all your goods to feed the poor, and you give your body to be burned, that's speaking of martyrdom, it profits me nothing. Why? Sacrificial living minus love equals nothing gained. Sacrificial living minus love equals nothing gained. Now, This is interesting to me because we're talking about, oh, self-sacrificial life. And it's so easy for us. You're like, okay, 
I'm going to give all my stuff away. I'm going to feed the poor because Jesus required it of that one rich young ruler. So I'm going to do that. And you know what? I'm going to live in such a way. I'm going to give up my life for Jesus. I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus. And I'm going to get in. And know what it says. There's a way that you can do all that stuff without loving people at all. You know what you call that? Religion. That's religion right there. Good old-fashioned religion. How many times have you met somebody who's lived radically self-sacrificially and they make sure every single person knows it and that they're better than them? I've been in church long. That happens all the time. Don't you know what I sacrificed for the Lord? It's like, no, no, you had sacrificed that for you so that you can judge me for not being you. See, there is a way that you can do everything right and do it all wrong. My pastor, John Henry, used to say, Daniel, let's make sure he's got an Irish accent. I can't do a good Irish accent. I can't roll my R's. That's why when I'm in Mexico, it's bad. We were, <laughs> Pastor Ralph and I, we were in Guatemala. I was trying to roll my R's. Everyone, all these, these uh, Spanish-speaking pastors were laughing at me. It's like I get a dead tongue. It just doesn't work, you know what I mean? So I'm like, it doesn't work at all. Now, I know it's going to happen. I'm going to go in the family room, and all you guys are going to love me by going, you know, <laughs> rolling your R's in my direction. I'm like, come on. You see, it's so easy for us it's so easy for us to say, okay, I'm going to live self-sacrificially. I'm going to, I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to give up my life. But you actually don't love God at all. You just love yourself and you love your idea of what that means for you. And we have to be careful because for many of us, and I'm, in, I, I'm a pastor, so I, I see myself here so easily. It's so easy to start to look down on other people who don't live the way we live. See, judgment happens when we think we're doing it right and everyone's doing it wrong and everyone should be like us. See, that's religion. You'd be better off if you were like me. No, the gospel says we'd all be better off if we were like Jesus. And that's a big difference, isn't it? We'd all, everyone would be better off if we're like Jesus, because if everyone's like me, we got problems. Now, don't get me wrong. We should, like the apostle, all be able to say, look, I'm imitating Jesus, so if you want to try and imitate me, I'm trying to imitate Jesus. But listen, it's very easy to live self-sacrificially in such a way as to put God in your debt. Think about it. If you are in a works-based relationship with God, you'll say, God, I tithe, I serve, I do this, I love my spouse who no one could love, even you know this, Lord, and all these things. You know what I mean? Like, I put all this in, and now, Lord, you owe me. You owe me. And because of that, I want this thing, this thing, this thing, and this thing. See, we often try and put God in our debt. We try and put enough good things in the self-sacrificial living column to say, God, now you owe me. Now I'm here to tell you, and the Apostle Paul talks about this, Galatians chapter 2, where he says, look, no, 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 God doesn't owe me anything. I owe God because God's salvation for me in Jesus is such a huge thing that I live my whole life saying, God, I could never, I never deserved any of this. I didn't deserve your love. I didn't deserve Jesus to die. I didn't deserve the empowering of your spirit and the gift of your spirit. I didn't deserve any of this stuff. And so Lord, I'm going to live my whole life just saying thank you. But there is a way for us being religiously minded to start finding ways to try and put God in our debt. And I believe there's many here today. You're struggling with God because you think God owes you something because of something you did. And we need to say, God, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that I'm trying to put you in my debt. I don't know how many times people, life happens, things go wrong, and people say, I can't believe God would do that to me. 
I mean, I gave my life to him and I'm serving him. No, it's not a chess match. It's not like the good things you do are putting quarters in a big cosmic vending machine and, and you go for raisinets and they don't have any more and you're mad. A lot of us do our relationship with God that way, don't we? I'm going to put a little money in the offering. I'm going to serve second Saturday. Hey, oh, they need help in the parking lot ministry. Okay, it's summertime. I'm going to do that now. You know? It's like, and now, God, I want this, 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 and this. That's what happens when you live self-sacrificially without God's love motivating you, but your own self-love. That's what happens. And religion is alive and well on planet Earth. It's alive and well in the church of Jesus Christ. And I, and I think as a pastor, it's hard because it's so easy as a pastor. Like, you kind of like, like, I struggle with legalism and religiosity just as much as the next person. So it's like, Lord, I preach so that everything should go well. No, 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 no. We just need to live in response to God's goodness and his grace and his love. See, if you give everything away and you feed the poor, you're still a sinner in the need of a savior every single day. You are recklessly in need of a savior every single day. If you end up in a scenario where you say, I'm going to give my life in martyrdom, and there's a, there's a subset of Christians who are really like, yeah, man, I'm going out that way. I, I heard one pastor say this, never choose the day or the hour of your own martyrdom. I think that's a great, that's a great phrase. Now, I know none of you guys are looking to, to, to die for the cause of Jesus right now. But you know, if that is gonna happen, that's God's on that. But we don't choose that day. The key is, is that in our self-sacrificial living, which is the foundation of agape love, we need to live based on God's love. It can't be our own self-love, our own vain glory. But it has to be God's love. Think of what Jesus said. In John 15, verses 12 and 13, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, Jesus' giving of his own life was for love. Because it was the only way. It was the only way for you and I to be brought back into God's family. If there was any other way, if we could do it through giving all of our stuff away to feed the poor, if we could do it through the tongues of men and of angels, all the spirit, if there's any other way to do it, Jesus would never have had to die on a cross. But he gave up his life for you and I. And because he's done it, he invites us to respond to him, to follow him. All Jesus asks for you today is to simply respond to his love. That's it. And every moment of every day as we simply respond to the love of God in Jesus. Every single day as we do it, do you know what happens? More and more we begin to take on that love. We begin to now have this spiritual power, but it's love-based. We begin to speak with the tongue of men and of angels. When we talk to people, we're like, wow, I really love this person. How did that happen? Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel spoke about how a person can possess spiritual power but be lacking in love. 
A person can also live self-sacrificially, but without love, nothing is gained. Only through the love of God are we really feeding the needs of others. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel speaks about how we approach love from a human standpoint and the dramatic contrast of how God loves. His love isn't easier, but it's deeper and more fulfilling. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled, The Greatest. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.